Their goal is to bring you a podcast that sounds more like everyone else than anyone else. We need to accept the fact that we are like every other podcast. We want to be special, but we're not quite there yet. It's the Xenial Odyssey podcast with Remy and Bobby Rocks. Okay, so much like many of our episodes, because as we've talked about a few times, we have decided to use like the first 50-ish episodes to just kind of mess around and see what happens and and we're building themes and all that. What is today's episode about? I think we're just going to wax about, we get heavy a lot. And I think that Mm -hmm. me and and Sir Bobby need to remember from time to time that there needs to be levity and there needs to be, you know, discussions that aren't all rooted in annui, annui, you know what I'm saying? So I think that we're going to just do kind of um, a stupid little... Like, I don't want to say filler, but a fun little um, look back on the effect that horror movies have had on us. Some of our favorites and maybe like some of the themes of horror films are why people enjoy them or escape to them. Yeah. I mean, there's so many directions we can go. We can... I will tell you this. I'm a mega fucking fan. Like, me- like anything yeah. that's come out this year I've seen. And I will tell you that in the next eight months, dude. The layout of horror films coming out in the next eight months. I got to say, scream shout outs to A24 for just being such a weird movie studio. Well, we are in my favorite month of the year, October. I do love October. And it's beyond Halloween. One of my favorite things is that we celebrate horror movies in October. Spooky, scary, scary. Yeah, yeah, there it is again. There it is again. Um, Some of my greatest memories of my life, not even related to horror movies, just in general, are from the month of October. Going to haunted houses, going to just marathon sessions for horror movies. And, And horror movies is a very broad genre. Yo, you just hit off what's going to be, this might even be where this this fucking episode goes, but you might not be educated enough, so I might need to give you a few weeks. You said haunted houses and my brain went right to McKamey Manor. Nothing. Yeah, yeah I, I, I've never, never been. No, no, you've never yeah. been. Okay, so you don't know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. Holy fuck, Bob. Okay, I'm going to preface this on air because it's exciting to me that you have this because your mind's about to be fucking mm-hmm. blown. So starting about, hey guys, it's Remy, <laughs> your favorite co-host. Starting about, I want to say, six years ago, these words started appearing online, and it was, it was the word extreme matched next to haunted house. Extreme haunted houses. Do you know a lot about these or no? Yes. So it started, I'll give a great example. One of the first ones that really got a cult following was the blackout experience in NYC. Mm-hmm. You'd go to a fucking warehouse. You had to sign waivers about nudity. Gener- like, it, they're fucked. When I first heard about the absolute what happens in the like i can't talk about it Mm -hmm. it's that fucked up and disturbing but that was one of the first extremes they walk you through room to room it's essentially pitch black and you have interactions with people and blood and guts and you get touched and slapped and fucked with um but people i think it feeds this weird part of ourselves like we said this dark streak we have so mckamey manor appears out in california during this Mm -hmm. dude i Okay, listen, we're going to put a pause on this because Bob's mind's going to be fucked. I, I can't wait to process this with him on air. So I'm just going to tell you guys what it is. Then we'll go back to horror movies. It's an extreme haunt in Southern California, okay? It's nine hours long, okay? Russ McCamey, the guy who runs it, is like, the only way you can get to this, first of all, it's free. 
You just have to bring a 20 pound bag of dog food for my dogs. Right away, you're like, what are you gaining from this? And then, you know, people started, and, and here's the thing. No one's ever finished it. This is him talking though. I have a lot to say. No one's ever finished it, but from the minute it opened, he was like, whoever finishes gets 20 grand in cash. I've heard of him. Yep. I haven't, so I have heard about it. But I I've heard you it, had. I've heard about it from like uh, the Toucher and Rich yep. show because it's they did highlight it on there that he, he is somebody who created this thing. It's free and if you finish it- All you bullshit. Get, yeah. There, the there whole was, point is you're not going to finish it. No, and there was never 20K and come to find out, it was nothing but sexual- and physical and traumatic abuse. Like, I'm not talking about a horror movie experience. I'm talking about, I watched a segment of two guys that look like me and Bob, okay, go through it. I watched them go through an hour. Now, this is what we're talking about. I'm not speaking in fucking riddles here. Mm -hmm. We're talking about guys coming out, taping you all the way up. So there's nothing you can do. Dude, they're spitting in your mouth, okay? They're making you eat raw eggs and lick fucking pieces of chicken. They're drowning. They're, they're putting you in coolers, mm -hmm. closing the lid, filling it with water dropping fucking snakes in there. What's happening to people, and they don't understand this is, if you, because there was like, you can watch a lot of these videos online. Yeah. Because he had a secret stream that he played live to Vegas and had people bet money on who would make it to the end. So he personalized, he emailed these people before he okayed them and he'd personalized their shit. If you didn't like spiders and molestation, you're getting fucking, you're getting touched, dude. I've watched footage. These two guys, like me and Bob, go through it, right? And they're like, me, me and Bob are fucking cocksure. And um, one of the guys has a stroke in the middle of it. You watch the dude blip the fuck out. They stop the whole thing. They have to bring him out. Like, we're talking about FBI levels of sadistic torture these people. And even if they were on the seventh hour, yeah, he'd suddenly do something to them. Like, dude, a big one was the girls had to start signing waivers because they're going to get their heads fucking shaved. Grabbing 17, 18-year-old girls and just like shaving them like sheep, bro. It's, it's fuck. But I would like to talk mm. about it with you because there's a part of me that's Wanted to experience an extreme haunt, but a hands-off one. Yeah. Send me through the rooms or something. Like, I might be able to deal with that. But as soon as weird people dressed up like motherfuckers are touching me and slapping me. Yeah, I'm going to uh, assault people at that point. It's brutal, yeah. man. And it has happened. Some people snap and attack. I'm glad you brought that up just because I feel like when we come back and we start the first segment, I want to start with the subgenre or the theme that is big in horror movies, and that's the psychological aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah, because to me, that's what makes a the better, the better of horror movies. Oh, and that's the thing about the blackout experience. Also, me saying them having that experience blacked out, the visual, yep. just heightens everything that much more. Mm -hmm. So, All right, so yeah, we'll uh, get that little segment music going, and we'll come back and jump in.
So Rem, when I say psychological horror movies, what are the first things that come to your mind? I know that I don't know if that was like a David Blaine thing and you loaded that and shot it right into my brain. I think that one of the first things that comes to mind, I think for, for a, a lot of people, but Sons of the Lambs was a big introduction to a lot of people on at least the concept, the yeah. overall concept of what psychological horror was. Because people have to understand that psychological is not likely to do the stuff that mainstream is. It's not going to throw cats at the camera. No. It's not going to do as many jump scares. Psychological means it's, it's fucking a fear that comes within you. You feel unsafe. So... And I think that for, like I said, for a lot of people, though, there had always been, I mean, we can say that there was even a Hannibal Lecter movie earlier in the 80s called Manhunt. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. the movie that came out later, Red Dragon, was a remake of that. So technically, Hannibal was Brian Cox, by the way. Yes, it, yeah, I was going to, yeah. Yeah, he was good as Hannibal Lecter. I'm sorry. A yeah. lot of people are like, what? There's multiple. Yeah, yeah. Look yeah, up Brian Hannibals. Cox and Manhunter. Yep. It's fucking terror. And the big, tall motherfucker, it's terrifying. And I was a big fan of psychological horror growing up. Mm-hmm. But I do think Silence of the Lambs mainstreamed it. And a lot of people were yes. like, they want a fucking Oscar. Mm-hmm. Horror had never done that. Anthony Hopkins won an Academy Award. For eating in a, people. In a role that he was on screen for about, what, nine minutes? 11, nine to 11, oh. yeah. This is like a two-hour movie. Yeah, think that, just shows how, that just shows how profound his role was. He made that role. And I think that set the tone for characters like the Joker, who's in Batman for 16 minutes. Well, think about it, too, because a lot of the movies, especially like Batman movies... Uh, DC, they're based off of the direction that the comic books went in. For example, around the time that Tim Burton was directing the Batman movies, he started to get involved in the comic books too. Yeah. Like, and then they started uh, like the killing joke. That's, that's what I'm, that's what I would always go to the killing. Tim Burton isn't associated with that. You know, well, I mean, I'm using that as an example of like like inspired. Yeah. The directions, the directions, the sub storylines would, would go in because that's an iconic one because that's, is that the one the Joker tortures uh, Gordon's daughter? Yeah. Well, makes him watch cripples her. Yeah. And there's, and then I'm sorry if like for people, this has always been discussed among fans and this is Alan Moore and he um, really has a penchant for putting rape in his work. And so she's not outwardly raped in the book, but if you watch the framing of a couple of the panels in the book, it's implied. It's implied. Something else may have Mm -hmm. gone down, you know, and there's the psychological horror. There yeah. it is. Yeah, there it is. It right might there. have gone down. Now, you see it. I'm going to go the indie route. And what I mean by that is the first things I think of are the 70s, movies in the 70s. I think of Wes Craven's Last House on the Left. Yeah, exploitation. Yeah. I think of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think of Halloween. I think of the, the techniques they employed. Then they all employed them differently. Yeah. So let's like talk about Last House on the Left, for example. That is, that is about. Well, wait. That is about like cat and mouse. Let's preface it, yeah. too. A lot of people don't know, but the, um, Last House on the Left is a remake of The Virgin Spring by um, that amazing Swedish director. No? It's not the... Uh, is it the director that made... Uh, oh, why am I blanking on it? The guy who plays chess with death. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It was, is it him? Yeah. Yeah, that's, a, that's such a great uh, film. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable. Yeah, and I wish I wasn't blanking on it right now uh, because it has one of the great scenes... Well, the chess scene is a great scene, in, um, in cinema. Yeah. And as as well as the death, the death march. Yeah. Yeah. Remarkable stuff. Yeah. But um, getting gonna, back, just, yeah. just so we don't forget. Um, the Seventh get, Seal? Is that what it's called? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Ingvar, Ingrid Berman. So wait, we, we went off rails. You brought up psychological horror and then you yep. went right to mainstream horror. You don't want to delve on psych anymore because I think that... That. Well, no, they were all independent. Like when that was like Wes Craven's first big movie, pretty independent. Last House, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and, and Halloween are like the epitome yeah. of those independent movies. The blueprint. And and people don't think about Halloween like that because it's so iconic. 
But when it first came out, I mean, like John Carpenter basically like funded that movie by himself. Like his wife wrote the the theme. Yeah. The iconic theme is just her like on, like on a, you know, a on a piano. Synth, yeah. Little synth. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I mean, I'll be honest with you. I've always found it kind of, um, okay, let's rewind. Last House on the Left is a rape revenge movie. Okay. Let's not be cute. Let's not dance around it. Let's not forget to mention it. I hate those movies. Just because it's it's an act for me that I'd rather never see, whether it's falsely or real. So I've always had trouble with it. But it's also, man, it's it's fucking so grassroots and powerful. Mm -hmm. Like once you reach the end, and like I'm sorry, like they fucking rape and kill those girls, and then then end up breaking down and having to stay at the parents of the fucking like that. That idea alone is it makes my skin scrawl, yep. skin crawl to this day. But what a lot of people don't know is those two actors who played the rapists in the movie. They did that shit. They fucking one hundred percent have come out and been like, we should be in jail for what we did to that girl on the set. They didn't mm-hmm. fucking talk to her. They'd fucking be like, if you fuck up this next scene, we're going to cut your throat. Yep. So like, we're under the impression that Carpenter was not aware of that at all. That that, sh- that well, dynamic was, was happening. That was, that Craven, was I'm sorry. Yeah, no, yeah, it's yeah. okay. I'm sorry. Um, and Listen, so, I fucked up. You fucked up. Yeah, that's, that's fine. fine. It's like, yeah. six, usually me and Bobby do this in the afternoon. It's like nine. I want to be in bed. <laughs> but the thing is, is like, you know, I didn't think that the man who made that film because the rape scene's brutal in the swamp, dude. Yep. And then just executing the girl as she's in the water. Yeah. And do you know you know that song that plays? I don't remember. All right. So there's uh there's the girl who was like a virgin and she so yeah, her scene, they don't they don't show the rape, they imply it. It's implied. They, they imply it. That's art. That's that's taking they show artistic... the turned heads and shit. Yep. Yeah, and you hear it. Yeah. You hear it. And then when they're done, everyone's just kind of looking around like like it's an uncomfortableness in the scene like everybody that's there all these people that are bad people almost like they feel bad and the girl basically like you know she dresses herself she wades her way out into the water and then uh, the guy who who had just like raped her basically pulls out a gun and just shoots her and kills her and there's music that's playing that's almost like very like angelic it's very soft well, it's very and it's just it's a great it's great motif because it's the exact opposite of what's going on. And well, that's the thing; it's based on the Virgin Spring yeah. by, by that director. And and I bring up the song because do you know who sang that song? No, I've already told you three times. I don't know what the song is. It's the guy who the guy who plays Krug, the rapist. The, the, yeah, the rapist. He he wow. sang that and he brought it to West Craven. He's like, I think we could use this in the film. Wow. Now that doesn't that give it like more weight to of that course. scene? Like it's like holy shit! Like so that I want that's the ultimate to me is ultimate psychological because it's trauma. You're watching it. You're traumatized. And that's why I go that route. See, I don't consider, I'll be honest with you, and this is, you know, open for debate, but I wouldn't consider a rape revenge thriller psychological. I would figure it. I would call The it, revenge part is not psychological. What happens to those girls is psychological. See, and that, that's what I mean, like, for us, the audience. See, I don't it's, think so. It's psychological for us. And just, and I bring up trauma because trauma, by definition, is just, like, an experience that make, causes distress. Yeah, watching those causes me distress. I know, but let me just give you my side. Okay, for me, psychological horror is slow burn. It's a little more subtle, and I know that's what the beginning of the movie is. But to me, that movie does not have any of that. I just think it's at times it's cruel to be cruel, and I find it incredibly exploitative. If you find it that way, that's fine. But for me, psychological horror is—I'll give you the epitome of it. Where it was mastered is Seven. Yeah, that to me. And so, I mean, so to me, it has to be. And Seven's like repulsive. But all the deaths are done off screen. You find them out afterward. There's really no violence in the film. I think for me, like the first movie I think of that's more in line with, with what you're talking about 
is Halloween. Yeah, I would agree that yeah. that's not, I mean, it's scary, yeah. but it is psychological. You barely see yep. Michael, you barely see the kills, mm-hmm. you know? Like the, the, the scariest scenes in that movie are like- Him what, standing outside the window. Or or like when there's that lull and Jamie Lee Curtis thinks, okay, I've gotten the kids safe and all that, and a, and a door closes and it shows the mirror and he's in, in the, his reflections in there. Like that stuff is masterful. Yeah, people masterful. have misinterpreted that like Halloween became the blueprint for the slasher, but it really wasn't super no. slashery. It became slashery as fuck. Honestly, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the is the foundation for the slasher films. Yeah. It has elements of psychological. Taking out each teen at a time. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The virgin living, well, yeah. the maybe virgin living till the end. Yep. But I have to go back and say, again, super psychological. You see, yep. the, you see the hammer and the door close on the first guy. You see the second person get taken. The hook's scary, but you just see him lift her and she makes faces like... If you look and, back, because I, I remember, this is what happens with Texas Chainsaw. Because it's so fucking visceral and real, people remember it gorier than it is. I've had that argument. Yeah. I wrote an article yeah. about that once and people went back and they're like, holy shit, there's no blood in the movie at all. I said, no, none. Now let's go ultimate psychological is what they do to that last girl where they're basically like torturing her to mama. And how many scenes in cinema have ripped off that exact scene? Exactly. Now, especially yep. in horror. Mm-hmm. The old dinner scene with the family. That's the whole basis for Resident Evil 7. It's crazy dinner scene with the family yep. and then they try to kill you. John Carpenter deserves a lot of credit for the psychological horror portions of genre. We, I think we, they lean more on that. Yeah, we, we talk about the thing. Gory, Example, but it is psychological. Yeah, like it plays on paranoia they and live, isolation. Psychological. They, they live. Prince of Darkness, psychological. Yeah, in the Mouth of Madness. Super fucking is, psychological. Yeah, he doesn't get enough credit for that movie. That's my favorite John Carpenter it's, movie. Like that. Yeah. I'm a little more autistic when it comes to horror than Bobby. Bobby's yeah, way more autistic than me when it comes to movie quotes. We all yeah, have our strengths. But at the same time, I'm building a foundation for our episode with the with the things here. Because Keep I do- stacking those blocks, baby. Because I do agree with you. But I'm saying like some of these are the foundational pieces for like what you brought up seven. You brought you've brought up like they live. So the 80s took psychological angle to a different place. Mindhunter is an is an example of that, which is based off of is it is the book it's, Red Dragon? Wait, Mindhunter or Manhunter? You're man, sorry. Mindhunter. I was talking about the great series. I know, you're fucking shit up. Yeah, man manhunt manhunter. Manhunter was based on Red Dragon 100 yeah. percent Yeah. Which is one of the books, yes, because Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal and all that, they are... They start with Red Dragon. I read Red Dragon working overnight at a state forest, and that fucking book scared uh, the that would, That fuck sounds like that would be terrifying. It was. It was great. Yes. It's a core memory. To you, what is a good archetype that makes a great psychological horror movie? I think that it needs to plant seeds of doubt. It, there needs to be a sense of, in most situations, you know where the car is going. I would even argue, bro, that the recent Batman was a psychological horror film. But for me, I think there, with psychological horror, it needs to be slower. It needs to be more paced to focus on the characters so I can connect with them so that the horror is way more riveting yep. than throwing five good-looking teenagers to be killed. Yep. I think that you connect more generally in psychological horror. And I think that the difference between a horror film and a psychological horror, okay? And this is the best way I can sum this up. If you watch someone watching a great horror film, they're going to be making faces and reacting and, being mm-hmm. like, who, and laughing. Psychological horror film, if you're at like a movie, like if you saw Silence of the Lambs in the theater, nobody made a fucking sound. Exactly. Pins drop. Pins drop. And if you yep. look at everyone's face, they're just compelled. You can't read if they're repulsed, but I think there's a difference. I feel like psychological horror is more like reading an incredible book than just cavalcade blood gore horror. So you know what movie gives me that feeling that you're describing? Eight millimeter. Oh, what a fucking brutal yep. film. Yes. Dude, that movie. Yep. Like, James Gandolfini? James Gandolfini oh. is the worst person yep. ever. And just Nick Cage, like you could tell that movie. He said that that movie was one of the ones that he almost wished he didn't do because it fucked him up that bad. James Gandolfini has a line in that movie towards the end, spoiler alert here for a 25-year-old movie, where he says, you're probably asking yourself, 
was I abused? Was I this? Was I that? And the graveyard scene. No. <laughs> He's like, I just am. Basically, 8mm is a Nick Cage film from the 90s by the same guy who did Lost Boys, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. And it's about millionaire's wife, the widow of a rich fucking tower guy, power, power guy. Yeah. He dies. She finds an 8mm projection in his safe. Which is snuff, right? It's yep. a snuff film. It's a snuff yeah. film. It's a little girl getting raped and killed. And mm-hmm. she calls Cage. And I love how it plays out, too. She calls Cage to be like, I need to know that this is not real. And like, when you see his reaction when he watches it and you just, oh, this is fucking real, but she needs this. Yep. Okay, she needs this. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you can tell that he's got a connection to like fucked up shit in his past because there's a real apprehension here. But once he sees the little girl, he's like, nah, this is on now. You know? I would also, that might have been the movie that I noticed Joaquin Phoenix for the first time. Yeah, so Nick Cage inhabits the dark underworld and initially starts trying to find snuff films, but they're fake. You got to keep in mind, pre-internet snuff was just a legend among people. Mm -hmm. It was. While the elites have always had the tapes, this movie is very fucking real. And essentially he finds out that it's, it's real and he tries to find the producer of the movie and the director. And, you know, he, let's say, obviously, he finds a little more than he bargained for. But, yep. like, uh, that's one of his most riveting roles, dude. You can tell that he's, like, at the end, the <clears throat> scene in the abandoned house yep. with, is that Gandolfini? Yeah. Bro, it is so fucked up. And I remember I saw I saw 8mm with a girl I'd been dating for quite a few years. And it, like, destroyed her because she didn't know that that shit existed. Yeah. And I'm sorry for a lot of people in the 90s, that movie was like, oh, my God, it's real. Obviously not in the film, guys, but it, that's real shit. People, millionaires like Epstein, fond to have these kind of movies made. What is the... It's I know you've brought it up to me before. It's one of your favorite movies. Funny Games? Yes. Oh, thank you. Thank there's you. There's a psychological yeah. horror. I will tell yeah. you, man, um, you know, I got my writing job from talking about Funny Games. I entered a contest for an article and they were like, cool, you want a job? My whole thing was that Funny Games is, is the worst because... It says, oh, you're a horror fan. Oh, well, then there's things you want. Come on in. Yeah, exactly. There's things you want, and we're going to give them to you. And then halfway through this film, you're going to realize you're not a horror fan. Mm-hmm. That's the only way I can explain it, because you there's two guys. It's a home invasion. I have goosebumps talking about this movie. It still happens to me. Now, is that a remake? Of the same director remade it. Yeah. It's his movie in fucking, um, no, it's European. Yeah. And... He knew that it was, this is, this is an important fucking movie. Mm-hmm. He remade his own movie, scene for scene, word for word with an American cast, an amazing American cast. Yes. Michael Pitt in that is life changing. But um, there'll be moments in the movie where they'll do something really fucked up and they'll look at you. They'll look at they the break audience. The, they say, break the fourth wall. This is what you yeah. want, right? Like you, you rented a horror movie. This is what you want, right? And it's so well written and well acted. And I have to say, I'm sorry, I don't say this about a lot of horror, devastating it's a devastating movie. Yep. And it did. It fucked me up off horror for a bit because you're the third person hanging out with them. And they're doing atrocious shit, but they're right. If they weren't doing it, the movie would have nothing happen. It gives you ownership. Yeah. Yeah. Gives you ownership of and what's you, going on. You want to talk about a character who gaslights people. Mm-hmm. Like when he's waiting in the house for the little kid with the gun. He's just yep. standing there. Like, oh man, yeah, funny games. But that's an example of much like Seven. When those movies end, you're not okay for a little bit. I think that's the difference between psychological horror too. Because yep. I can laugh off a of bloody horror film and shit. But like when it feels real and palpable, for me, it sits with me. It's like yeah. the stink of rotted meat in the fridge mm-hmm. for a couple of days. Yep. And that's like obviously one of the reasons Bob's talking about it is I think we both prefer that. We prefer it a little more subtle. Just make us want it and then resent that we want it. And that is why I think we skipped over a great psychological horror well there's a film. lot we're skipping i know but, but there's one reason we skipped over the shining oh, because yeah. it's because it's in your face like and it's, it's misinterpreted intense. and it is misinterpreted another movie that the, uh, the I, I love look, i love stanley kubrick as a director yeah 
I think for the sake of the actors, he should he should have never done a horror movie. Oh my god! No, bro. what what he did to Shelley Duvall, what he did to Shelley Duvall. People don't know like backstory on Stanley Kubrick. Just as a director, he made people film scenes like hundreds of times, even if he liked it. Yep. And let's be honest, that takes an emotional toll. So now you're doing a traumatic traumatic scenes. Shelley Duvall. How many times did she have to do the scene where uh, Jack is trying to break into the door? Or like, coming up the stairs. Yeah, the or coming, coming up the stairs is a great one. He, That's the one. He made them do that scene over and over and Watch over Watch the way she's again. holding the bat in that scene. She's holding it like that because she can't hold it anymore. And then, but here's yep. the thing, though. He wanted to catch a woman breaking, so he broke her, and that's not okay. Yeah, exactly. I don't watch The Shining anymore because, yeah. put it this way, Shelley Duvall's daughter has a TikTok with them, and like it's sweet, and she's doing things for her mom, but dude, it's one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Guys, and, you wouldn't recognize her. And then the worst thing that you could, co- you could combine, let's talk about like a perfect storm, is an actor like Jack. Yeah, who's for just, that role. He can feed you for hours. How, how does it make yeah? How does it make you feel when he's hyping himself up for the door scene? But what's craziest about that back behind the scenes footage to me is she's just sitting. So she has to watch it. That's gas. Like yeah, it was just bad, dude. And yep. Like that movie broke her. Yep. And I'm sorry, man. Like like Shelley Duvall and Popeye. What a beautiful woman. Like she was a weird, beautiful woman. She was yeah. She was quirky. Yeah, but she got broken. But you know. But another example, The Shining. Yeah, there are moments, but the only blood is the axe scene. All, I mean, the elevator, yeah, but that's, that's so, that's yeah. not blood, yeah. blood, you know? One thing I will give Stanley Kubrick credit for in the horror genre, because it's really his only film that's horror. Yeah, outward horror, yeah. Yeah, is his attention to detail, his use of the atmosphere itself. Like, come on, the the stalking camera yeah. was, was wonderful. The simple fact that the geometry of the Overlook Hotel was deliberately filmed fucked up. Hallways that went down certain hallways with certain doors, the next time you saw them were dead ends. Stairs would lead to nowhere, but not because they didn't. They led somewhere, but the way he'd film it from both sides, he took out the certainty of that place. So you might watch it and think you're seeing things, but if you follow the blueprint of that house and watch when Danny rides the fucking big wheel, He's would end up in a completely different place than he did. Yep. And mm-hmm. that's supposed to be, he only does what, four left turns in that, which should be a circle. But there are little details like that. And the rumors about like how he tried to connect it to the Indian genocide with all the Native American, if you count every Native American face you see in the film between posters, on cans of food, there's thousands. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a fun movie for conspiracy nuts because it's got layers of shit. <laughs> But I do agree that that's psychological and it's another top of the class for it. Now let's go to the other extreme. What's the most visceral horror movie? Non-psychological. Just like bludgeoning you with... Uh... Well, I'll give you a perfect example. Like just ahead of time so you don't beat me to it. Okay. Evil Dead. Yeah. Is the perfect example of the yeah. other horror. It's going to fucking puke in your face and yell and scream. But when it ends, it's not going to fuck you up. You're going to have had a good time. Yeah. You yeah. know? And that's what slashers did for people. They were like, oh, titties? Blood? <laughs> A really easy to blue, follow story. Blueprint for a thrasher. Uh, there's going to be nudity. Some there's going to be a couple that have sex and they're going to be smoking pot. Those and, people yeah. get killed too. Yeah. yeah, but like and terrible acting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that stuff was safe yeah. and fun. It was like comfort yeah. food. And literally, I mean, yes, the first like Friday the Thirteenth had that stuff, but the first Friday the Thirteenth is a, is a good is is a gr- is a very good movie. It would be like upper echelon if it didn't get nine sequels. Exactly, people don't understand yeah. how genius the switch yeah, was. Yeah, because the switch happened with the sequel, but then from there, the snowball of just like let's make this as campy as possible. Let's make him a superhero. Yeah, yeah. So let me ask you a question. For me, I remember, and I'll have the answer. And I think we might have said this on the air, but no one's going to care. Do you remember as a child, the first horror movie you watched that fucked with you? You weren't sleeping. You kept picturing it. Like it happens. 
I'll yeah. tell you mine because I remember it so viscerally. My parents had divorced. I was at my dad's on the stairs. Him and my older brother were watching Dawn of Dead after I went to bed. And I just sat on the stairs watching it. And I went upstairs and was fucking terrified. It's funny you brought that up because the first one for me is Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. Yeah, there's a so lot good. of things that are yeah that are just terrifying about that. Now, people may watch that movie. It's 54 years old now. And most people may watch that and go, what the hell's so scary about this? And what's Everything so, at the time. Everything. Everything's scary about that. George A. Romero is a master. Yeah, I was obsessed. I mean, yeah. zombie movies were my favorite shit, but that's because they hit me. They scared the fuck out of me. The idea of mm-hmm. flat, unsharpened teeth eating yep. your skin. Mm-hmm. Nah, I'm good, bro. Yeah, especially for someone who works in human services who has been bitten, bitten. by another yep. human being. Yeah, so that's that's another reason why. Yeah, but like literally, like for weeks after I watched that movie, I would be like, if I was alone... I'd be like, all right, where's all the wood? So what, where were those doors I don't need so I could use those to, yeah, yeah. to blockade all entrances to this house? And f- what's funny about that is, and so, you know, you go through the period, you love horror, you love horror. and then, But I actually remember the horror movie that scared me as an adult, too. And I think we've talked about this. The Ring. Yeah. Dude, I'm not going to lie. For some reason, just I the design of her, I loved the, I loved the mythos behind it. But I'm going to say, man, when she crawled out of the TV, and I was, you know, this was a long time ago. Terrifying. It was fucking terrifying to me, yep. bro. And then I remember I slept with a TV at the end of my bed and I hated it for a month. Do you know what scene? And it's not even, do you know what scene just literally haunt, haunted me? The for girl a long in the time? closet. No, no, but that one's good. But there's a scene that you wouldn't think of that haunts me. And it's the scene on the ferry boat with the horse. Oh, and it drowns. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't just drown, it gets chopped up by the motor. Yeah. It, yeah. That, that one, that one haunt, haunted me for a while. Well, I mean that that's yeah. but that's just the ring's masterful acting, masterful execution, mm-hmm. just just great shit. And so there's still movies like I remember the Grudge being creepy and stuff, but but I think that you know because me and Bobby talk about heavy shit a lot. Is there anything better than horror films to shut everything off if you're stressed or if you're fucking, yeah. you know? It, it it's you might laugh, you might cringe, you might hate it, you might love it, but they're rides, dude. And I think for me, I've always had a pretty stressful life, and I think anytime I watched fucked up horror. I'd be like, oh, cool. There's somebody who has it way worse than me. And one of the things I love about the genre is, I mean, we've we've hit upon, we focused on psychological, but we hit upon the campiness and the slasherness and, yes, yes. and the independent. What I love is it's a really wide open genre. Yeah, think about Shaun of the Dead. Think about movies like that. that Shaun are of the Dead is great. Just fun and gory. Like I love Hot Fuzz more than I love Shaun of the Dead. I yeah, and I, it's it's our, no, that's tough. That's tough because yeah. I I consider all those movies equally dope. I like yeah. that World's End too. It's just got some look, genius. Moments. Look, the scene, Hot Fuzz, the scene with the priest when he says "fuck off, Grasshopper," and the guns shoot out of his sleeves like that. Th- like I was in tears laughing at that. That moment actually reminded yeah. me of old Peter Jackson. Yeah, mm, I'm watching you, that and being like, and you know who we haven't talked about? Peter Jackson. Well, we haven't talked about him. Uh, the Frighteners was the first movie he ever did. I saw that in the theater. Yeah, I, I saw it in the theater it. too. Yeah. I thought Michael J. Fox, like... That was the final one. Yeah, that was the last... People don't realize that was like his last film. He, he did Spin City and, he, and he's done but, other things, but because of his Parkinson's, like yeah. he, he, he was, he's limited. It's like retrospectively that's... really sad because you can actually watch episodes of Growing Pains and even see slight yeah. moments. Like it was always mm-hmm. there and we didn't notice because if you watch impressions of him, people will, before they knew, people would do ticks. 
Yeah. Not at, we just thought it was like a Christopher Walken thing with him. Oh, good the God. Dead, the dead zone. Sorry. That's the first thing I thought of when you say Christopher Walken. Psychological horror. Yep. Like yep. just Walken being himself. The ice is going to break. The you fucking know. hockey scene, yeah. bro. For people who don't know, like basically he gets in an accident and he's in a coma. And when he comes to, his life is turned upside down. And he has a te- telepathic abilities now. Just to, to sense death. To sense, yeah. To sense how you're going to die or where your life's going to go. Go see the SNL one where he worked in the office. No. People kept coming. I mean, it was Walken who did it. And like, okay, so I'll tell you, because you're always the one telling people funny shit. So Walken's in the office and it's the 90s Rob Schneider cast, okay? And like, he goes up to the printing machine, he's printing something. John comes over, he's like, hey, what are you doing? And he's like, your coffee on your desk is getting dangerously cold. Like, he can only suspect the stupidest shit. Oh, bro. We'll bust that shit out on YouTube. That's, that's what YouTube's good for. Yeah. But anyway, okay, so what is what was the last good horror movie you saw? That's tough. For me, I say, because for me, no, I thought was everything great about event horror. Not psychological, yeah. but there are parts where it's, it's, it's fucking scary. It's a scary film, dude. The last one I saw wasn't good, though. What was it? It was the scary stories to tell in the dark. I disagree. I like, think they nailed it. No, I think I was they dis- nailed it. I was disappointed. I mean, first of all, did they not get the effect of every creature from those drawings perfect? So this is why I disappoint. This is why I This is why I disappoint me. my family. No, no, no. This is why I was disappointed with it. They made it all one story. So I feel like what that should have been, paying more homage, they did a great job with I each know, one. you want an anthology? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah Creepshow. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, we haven't talked about Creep. Creepshow was... Creepshow's a great film. Yeah, the original. The original is. I would. I would say the original stands up against anything from from the eighties, the seventies, eighties, and nineties. Dude, you're talking about Stephen King and George Romero. Of course, it has yeah, to work. Yeah, yeah. For me, it, they became kind of a comfort food. And I, I think outside of Nope, the last movie that genuinely fucked me up as a horror movie, which was the first movie that fucked me up as a horror movie in a long time, was Hereditary, Ari Aster. And then, I mean, I even think Midsummer. I think his movies are fucking amazing. Mm. Amazing. I also really, really think Robert Eggers is tapped into something crazy right now. Like The Witch? Fuck off, man. That movie was masterful. And then The Northman? I mean, in between The Lighthouse... I, last week, watched The Witch for the first time. Oh, what the fuck? On Pluto. Late to this part. I love Pluto, by the way. Shout out to Pluto. I went TV. to a midnight showing of that yeah. film, bro, and you could fucking, you couldn't breathe. That was, uh, that was like her debut, right? And Joy Taylor. Yeah. No, but that was the first that time That was like the was. first, like, her introduction property. That was very, uh, her first big role. Yeah. And then right out, soon after that was Split. Remarkable yeah. performance. Maybe Split. I guess would probably be the last one that, like, in the moment when it came out. Yeah, it was dope. Yeah. Or the one he did right before that, M. Night Shyamalan. The visit with the grandparents. Yeah, yeah, that. I hated that. Let's get the fuck out. I went and saw that at the place we used to work at with two kids. Because they did PG-13. <laughs> I know. I wow. know. And that yeah. movie's got so much trigger. Yeah. Nudity, wiping shit in people's yeah. faces. The scene that did it for me wasn't like scenes of the lady walking like upside down no, and all when that. You could see the dead fucking yeah, the, the, yeah, in the like, tree. It's like, oh, that's not your... That's not your grandparents. And then you, and then it like pans out the wind, out the window of the house, and there's someone hanging in the tree. And you're like, oh, this, I love that. Reveal. This movie has just flipped. That's what he does. Yeah, man. His yeah. new movie looks amazing. Well, enough. he did go through a period where. Yeah, but he still he did. A, he, you know what I mean is he went through a period where he went through a lot. Oh yeah, his shit sucked. Yeah, but either way, you always know, and I think this is unfortunate, but you always know that uh, you're getting a twist with dude. His new movie, A Knock on the Cabin in the Woods. David Bautista shows up at like a fucking cabin, like a gay couple. And he's like, oh, we have, to, it's him and a bunch of other people. He's like, we have to kill you. And they're like, why? He's like, because if we don't kill you, the apocalypse is going to start. That's the trailer. And I'm like, no, don't roll your eyes. It sounds dope. Don't act like you know what the reveal is going to be. I'm tired of, I'm just tired of that narrative. Like, 
Home invasions? No way, not Not the home invasion. We have to do this because God said... Give me two examples of it in horror. In horror or just in general? No, in horror. It's an underappreciated movie. It's a trope, though. I do no, it's it's an underappreciated movie, but the uh, the Ninth Gate, Johnny Depp. Oh yeah, huh? yeah. Um, I brought that movie up before. But here's yeah. the thing: my my thought of seeing that, I wasn't rolling my eyes because Shyamalan's going to do something very, I think, very unique with it. Like, I guess I guess I'm always worried about that he's going to do another Lady in the Water or something. Oh, like that, that one, <laughs> the happening. Or or Lady yeah, in the Water. Yeah, yeah, or the Lady happening. in the Water is good comparatively, dude. He liked to write fantasy for a little while. I don't hate him. I thought the vil- <laughs> listen that had Mark Wahlberg, The Happening, right? That was his. That was Shyamalan's shit movie. That and Airbender. All his others take him, or hit, take him or leave him, dude. They're not like shit though, you know. And I think he's getting it back. I actually really liked Old. Nobody liked it. His most recent yeah. movie. Did you see it? Mm-hmm. Thought it was cool. It was yep. interesting. I knew the twist within fifteen minutes, but <laughs> but that's the problem when you sit yeah. at his movies. If you're smart, that's what you're gonna do. You're yeah. gonna say, "Where is this gonna go?" You know who he, he skipped over? Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, I mean, fan. Yeah, no, he's a master. Fuck it, he's yeah. a genre master. Yes, he's yeah. got like three new things coming out. He's got an anthology show coming on Netflix called The Cabinet of Curiosities. Good. Dude, good. But there are people who are they are the genre. They're in love with the genre. He's another one. Like I have, he he released like his notebooks for when he was making Hellboy, mm-hmm. and like put them together in a hardcover, bro. Every idea he had was doodled in a notebook at eleven. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's remarkable stuff. But yeah, that's a good call. But I think that we're starting to see that there are really good directors in the genre that are trying to stretch it. And I hope it continues, you know? Yep. Yeah. Cause I'm tired of watching shit. <laughs> well, that's the problem yeah. is it's so much fucking filler in the genre. And mm. to be honest with you, I'm the same way. I don't really fuck with ones that aren't going to be, I at least know have something. I'm not going to watch if it's like vampire Queens in the early days of uh, Netflix. Oh yeah. I went at all of it. Yeah. I'm like you, it doesn't, it's not something I want to commit the time to. So, and, and for me too, my mother owned a bookstore, so I loved horror literature too, reading Stephen mm-hmm. King and shit. But I, th- I also think that where we live, where we live is very conducive to like, like yeah. we live in New England. Yeah. We live where all his shit takes place. And me and Bobby specifically are near some supposedly haunted fucking places mm-hmm. with history. And I think that that factors into maybe our penchant for appreciating it. You know, we celebrate Halloween up here, bro. Do you know for a summer reading project when i was going into my freshman year of high school i chose salem's lot that's my favorite king book first off relentlessly terrifying book yes and one of the things that makes antagonist yeah harlow barlow that makes him so terrifying unlike the movie which completely ruined it was that he looked like a normal person yeah that was the whole point but not even that we need to talk about the fact that stephen king bro whoever the fuck designed the prosthetic for the fucking salem's lot tv movie Needs to die in hell. Salem's Lot fucked me up when yeah. I first saw it. We rented it. It was a TV movie. We knew mm-hmm. it was TV movie. When that brother scrapes on the window, bro. Yeah. I swear to God, my fucking organs tried to leave my asshole. Mm-hmm. Dude. Yep. Or. Your dead brother scraping on the window and asking you to yep. let him the fuck in. Or right before that, when he's being buried in the in the cemetery. I know, dude. Or, I mean, we could go on and on. I or when he goes flashback to going in the house mm-hmm. as a child on a dare. And then has to go in there as an adult to like do that. And he's having the flashbacks like that. Yeah, come on. Like, And the scene when he kills their parents at the dinner table yep. just fucking yeets him into the light. Mm-hmm. Here's something that's interesting. It's gotten a couple of really bad sequels. Don't watch them. It's gotten a couple of remakes. Don't watch them. Right now, it's in some very good hands. And you're going to see it as a movie in the next year. So let's cross our fingers, Bobby. I hope so. Because that book, first of all, fuck you. Just I, I was in the seventh grade 
and I was not sleeping for like yep. a week because my mm-hmm. head, my bed next to my head was a window, bro. Mm-hmm. And if you yep. know about Salem's Lot, you know windows are how they get you. And if you're even a little deeper, they didn't put this in the original, and I understand why they didn't put it in the remake. I mean, let me rewind. It's not in the film. But remember in the book, his super hot, sexy fucking teacher comes to his window naked. And he's like talked in earlier things about her being pretty in her dresses and shit. And she's scraping the window and being like, don't you want to fuck, bro? And as like a young dude, Mm -hmm. that scene, because I remember reading that scene and being like, oh, I'd let her in. I would die. I'd die. I'd die. I'd die. I'd fully die. Yeah. If there were boobs there in Bush, I'd die. We and we sidetracked because we were talking about films, but we sidetracked to Stephen King because you have to. You have to pay homage. Yeah, we almost stepped over him. To a guy who single Def- single-handedly defined the genre really created a different path to influence film and, and even just as a journalist i think yeah. he was the first guy who made horror writers rock stars dude yeah not mm-hmm. saying how he acted but how, how he was sold and fucking yeah. then he's like let me use a fake name and make more books oh look i'm number one under this name too yeah you know the richard bachman stuff yeah richard bachman. so yes. fucking cool but um yeah king and you got to understand like you know he he's one of our guys up here we got poe up here we mm-hmm. got king up here like We've got a fucking um, Lovecraft up here. Mm-hmm. Like, understand where we're from, guys. Like, we pray at the graves of gods who created stories and characters that still fucking scare us to this day. Yeah, if people if people don't understand the influence of Lovecraft, look no further than Evil Dead. Yeah, the Necronomicon. <laughs> the Necronomicon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is is a part of uh, Call to Cthulhu? Cthulhu um, is it a part of the the fucking. Is that the first reference in one in a Lovecraft? work to uh, yeah i think it's, it's to the necronomicon i believe yeah and the necronomicon is so interesting because i mean it's a piece of it's a book that didn't exist that people wrote into existence yeah. post no no i'm thinking that's the that's ultimate right. mandala effect yeah oh 100%. Yeah, pe- people think a ne- the necronomicon is a book that so, exists yep. it didn't exist until the 1920s when lovecraft started putting that in his work and he just was like mentioning it as the compendium within his books mm-hmm. and then someone else created it suffice it to say you know lovecraft was i like the idea of like astral horror of you're going to see something that's so fucked up. It doesn't look, there's not eyes where you want them. There's no shape where you want it. The noises it, ma- it makes rumble in your guts and make you sick. I like the idea of something being so far beyond your comprehension that looking at it directly mm-hmm. renders you a wraith. And you're just you're fucking eyes white, mouth open, Brand. The Hitcher with Rucker Howard. That's a great film. Dude, I, you want to talk about one of the 10 best 80s horror movies that yep. people don't talk about. His right. fucking character in that movie, when they're in the car, mm-hmm. and, and it starts with, the, the Hitcher is this 80s movie. It got remade with Sean Bean, too. It's decent, but you got to watch the original. And see Thomas Howell, who's like, I'm sorry, 80s God, pulls over and picks up Hitchhiker uh, Rucker Howard. You know, he picks him up, and within a minute, he's just turned on this fucking sense of like, oh, I'm going to die. And he starts telling him, he's just like, that basically shouldn't have picked me up. Yep. <laughs> and it just turns into this this cat and mouse game it's just relentless like the scene with jennifer jason lee tied between the trucks i'll admit that scene fucked with me and a lot of people like i guess they were really embattled about to show it or did not and they didn't that worked great for me you just saw mm-hmm. the truck go forward and you knew what happened so i, th- I feel like me and bob got to cap it off because i could talk about horror forever so why would why would people be like oh wow you guys went on a, like a like a tangent down dark places why would you because this is the stuff that really came to prominence for people our age yeah, it was. Yep. You, you were hanging out with your friends. You were watching Friday the 13th. You were watching Hellraiser. But I have to say, my friend and I were watching USA up all night. Yeah. Ron Sheer. Ron Sheer and Gilbert Godfrey on Saturday. I remember. May he rest in peace. Yeah, rest, dude. But I bring that up, yeah, because of the epitome of like terrible 
horror movies. But fucking fun, man. Yeah. Even bad horror is fun. Like 976 Evil? Evil, yeah. Yeah, come on. That's it's great stuff. It's, it is great shit, yeah. dude. House. I, House or House 2. Favorites. House 1, arguably. House 2 is more fantasy. Yeah. I love House 1, dude. Yeah, House 1 is great. George Went and shit. Yep. But I think that, it, you know, it's like a comfort food for a lot of us. I think that it's a fun place to escape to. I think it's separated enough from all our realities, too, that we don't necessarily feel sinful. I think it is the, as a genre, it's the epitome of something that plays to that primal part of our existence yeah. that we, in our, in, in civilized society. Craning our neck is, at a car wreck. That is not acceptable anymore. And it's yeah. our way to play that out. So that's why I think it's important to talk about, too. That's a good note to end that shit on. Yeah. Yeah, because a big trait of people our age is our nostalgia for the 80s, and it's because the 80s to us is that security blanket. And I will tell you this, one last thing. Like, that's one of my fucking watermarks for when I start dating a new girl. I make her watch Lost Boys. If she's seen it and she likes it, we're good. If she hasn't seen it, let me watch it with you. I want to see if you realize how magical this is. But I always, even my but, last psycho girlfriend passed the test. But is the, is the guy with the mohawk and the, and the saxophone, is that a turn? <laughs> if she, if she likes that, is that That's a turn? That's pure off? foreplay. For uh, as soon as he starts gyrating. Uh, oh, it's, oh, we it's, fuck. Oh, it's the, oh, it's the equivalent of him finger banging your ass at, at that point. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I still believe Bobby. <laughs> and on that note, take care everybody. Have a good night. Bye guys. Odyssey podcast. Remy and Bobby Ross discuss. Kelly, welcome to the Odyssey. Well, like kink is whatever kink is to you. The taboo of kink, thankfully, in the last 10 years especially, has really dissipated. It's not necessarily always traumagenic. Like, I've had people that are like, oh, is it your daddy issues? Is it because of your relationship with your mother? And I'm like, no, I, I just like what I like and I'm into what I'm into. Is it about more about intimacy than it is about sex? Oh, for sure. Okay. Connection. I think people are learning that the boxes that we put ourselves into are inherently limiting and that yep. language is an entryway, not a stopping point. One of the things I firmly believe in is that kink is inherently political because the things that we do in the shadows, so to speak, are like technically illegal by the books. Here's the idea. What? We can do these by phone, dude, remember? I was like gonna we say can. that. Like we there can, might be a way uh, for me to like remote in. Oh yes, there is. There is. This is the Bluetooth that I can hook up to this. Find the XOP on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, our Facebook page, or YouTube.